scripture reading this morning comes from the Apostle Paul's letter to Titus, which is found on page 998 in your Black Pew Bible, and I encourage you to open your Bible or a Pew Bible for the reading of scripture and to, to keep your Bible open as I will make reference uh, to particular verses in this brief passage. Let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. Gracious Father, we give you thanks for your word of truth, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Shine the light of your truth by the power of the Holy Spirit in our minds and hearts that we may not only understand, but also completely trust your word and joyfully obey you through him, who is our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Let us hear the word of God. The letter to Titus, chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works." And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all glory, honor, and praise. Amen. Now last Sunday I began the sermon by saying that you might be experiencing somewhat of a disconnect between the cultural celebration of Christmas, which began on November the 1st, I suppose, And the way in which we here in Covenant and many Christian congregations observe the season of Advent as has been done for centuries. So while the world enjoys the holly jolly holidays, Christians who observe Advent are singing their songs in a minor key, mournfully praying for the Lord to ransom them from their captivity and to bring them home out of their exile in this world. O come, O come, Emmanuel. That's a sad song sung in exile. Captive Israel is a metaphor for the church, God's people in Jesus Christ. We who are longing for our complete, perfect redemption, the redemption of all creation, longing for the day when Jesus Christ comes again in power and glory to judge the living and the dead. So I realize that it can be a little bit confusing. On the one hand, we're all preparing to celebrate Christmas, and of course, there's a lot of fun in that. 
And there's a lot of good reason for all of that fun and good cheer. Christmas really is the most wonderful time of the year because we know that it is the annual celebration of the birth of the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus, we are also in the season of Advent looking forward to his final advent. Jesus is coming again in power and glory at the end of history. Now this focus on Christ's final advent adds a note of soberness or seriousness to the season because we are reminded that the baby who was born in Bethlehem is the one who will appear in power and glory to judge the living and the dead. So you see, what you may be feeling is not really a disconnect, but the very natural tension. The tension which naturally arises from living, here we go, living in between his appearances. Living in between Jesus' first advent, his birth in Bethlehem, and his final advent when he comes again in power and glory. On the one hand, we're celebrating his birth. On the other hand, we're waiting, we're hoping, we're longing, we are praying for Jesus to come again and bring his kingdom in all its fullness on earth as it is in heaven. But this tension of living in between the appearances is not only for the season of Advent, but of course for every day of our lives. We just heighten it, call attention to it during this season. Now, the passage we read from the Apostle Paul's letter to Titus speaks directly to this. Verse 11 says, The grace of God has appeared. Note that has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That verse, the grace of God has appeared, you see, refers to Jesus' first advent, his birth in Bethlehem, his sinless life, his ministry, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. Jesus Christ is the grace of God which has appeared. The grace of God is not merely an abstract concept, an idea, or a doctrinal point. The grace of God is Jesus. This is the whole point of Christmas. The incarnation, the enfleshment of the Son of God, the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Jesus is the grace of God, and he has appeared in history. The scripture continues saying, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, that does not imply the salvation of each and every individual who ever lived or shall live. This verse does not teach a universalistic salvation in that sense, but rather it teaches that the grace of God in Jesus Christ 
has appeared for the salvation of all people who believe in him from every tribe and tongue and nation without regard to ethnic identity or cultural heritage or worldly status. Titus 2.11, this verse, is saying exactly, exactly the same thing as John 3.16. For God so loved the world. You can do a little better than that. For God so loved the world. Jew and Gentile, people from every tribe and tongue and nation without distinction, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now this is, of course, the gospel, the good news of Christmas. Think about this. Remember what the angel said to the shepherds. I bring you good news. I bring you gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. That's good. You got it. Will be for all the people, all the people of the world. But listen, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, that is, Messiah, the Lord. Now there's the gospel of Christmas. Listen to this. The Messiah of Israel the son of Abraham, the son of David, promised by the Hebrew prophets, the Savior of the Hebrew people, is revealed to be the Savior of the world. There it is. You got it. The Savior of all people who believe in Him. Now that's what Christmas is all about. And just to be clear, to believe in him is not merely to have some kind of mental acknowledgement of his existence. That, that is not what the Bible means when it says believe in him. Oh, yeah, I, I, I believe that there's a God. Oh, yeah, I believe in some you know, higher power. No. To believe in him for your personal salvation means, first of all, that you don't believe in yourself. You don't, you don't believe in your ethnic, national, or racial identity. You don't believe in, you don't trust in your family name or heritage, your personal accomplishments, or your intentions to live up pretty good moral life or any of the personal accolades which the world might say about you. Uh-uh. The prophet Isaiah said that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And the Apostle Paul said that all those personal things in which he and we might try to find some confidence for our salvation 
are in fact to be considered as rubbish, worthless in terms of our salvation. Our salvation is found only in the grace of God which has appeared in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so to believe in Him for your personal salvation is to submit yourself to Him in love and faith, to entrust yourself to Him. That Maybe the easiest way to say it is just to turn your life over to Him. And therefore to seek to live your life for His honor, for His glory, for His praise with Him at the center of your life and at the, at the height of your life in grateful obedience to His Word because He has redeemed you, rescued you, saved you from the slavery of your sins, the tyranny of the devil, and the curse of death. And that's not all that He has done for you or will do for you. There is more. The child of the manger is the Christ of glory. Now, this is the point which the world completely misses during the Christmas season, and I hope that we will not miss it. The birth of Jesus was just the beginning of the story, the true story. But how will the story, the true story, end? The same brief passage, this little bitty passage from Titus, tells us how the story will end. As it looks forward to the final advent of Jesus, to which it refers, saying, Our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There it is at verse 13. Now, what I want you to see is that in this little passage, in these few verses, from Titus 2, 11 to 13, you see there's a reference, first of all, to Christmas, the birth and life of Jesus, His first advent, His first appearance. The grace of God has appeared. And now in verse 13, His final advent, His glorious appearing, which the Scripture calls our blessed hope. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, has appeared, and our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will appear. And we live, as the Scripture says, in the present age, in between His appearings. He appeared in grace, in humility, in meekness. He will appear again in power and glory to judge the living and the dead. Now, this is our blessed hope, the hope of the coming of Jesus Christ in power and glory at the end of history to bring God's redeeming work for all creation to its glorious consummation. Now, that is what we're headed for, and that is what is headed toward us, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us. You see, the story isn't over yet. The promise of Christ's final advent is a reality, which, as this passage says, ought to have a great impact on our lives and ought to make a real difference in the way that we live. Now, let's listen carefully to what God's Word says in this particular passage 
about Christ's final advent. First of all, there is no speculation about when it will occur. There is no speculation about circumstances of world events or world politics. There is no sensationalism or hype. And unfortunately, throughout history, certain Christian groups have engaged in speculation and have attempted to predict Christ's return. It happened rather recently, I think, last year. Well, today, those same mistakes of speculation are made, and, and, and sometimes it's when there's a massive earthquake somewhere or when there's a political disturbance in the Middle East. I think we go astray when we let those external events influence our perspective. What is our perspective to be? If we take the Bible seriously, we will accept what it plainly says. No man knows the day or the hour. And therefore, we all are to be ready for the coming of the Lord every hour of every day. And this little itty-bitty passage tells us how to be ready every hour of every day. Verse 12, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see, this is our calling now in the present age. This is how we are to live between the appearances of Christ. Renouncing ungodliness. And we live in a world awash with ungodliness. We're called to live upright, godly lives, serving the Lord with good works. This passage says zealous for good works. You see, living in day-by-day faithfulness, living in daily obedience and daily service to the Lord, living in daily repentance, turning away from our sins and turning away from the the world and the flesh and the devil, this is the best way to prepare for the coming of the Lord. Now, you might wonder, or someone might wonder, well, you know, Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago. The Lord did not return. 2,000 years have transpired. The Lord has not returned in 2,000 years Perhaps he will not return in my lifetime. How then is the final advent relevant to my life today? Listen. The final advent of Jesus Christ is of immediate relevance to your life. His coming is relevant to your life whether he comes in 10 minutes, 10 days, or 10,000 years from now. It is of absolute relevance to your life. You're not going to miss it. Whether Christ comes in our lifetime or in thousands of lifetimes from now, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, 
Every eye shall see him. And as the scripture says, we all, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So don't, don't let it confuse you about the timing of Christ's coming and whether that would make any difference to you. Whenever Christ comes, he will come as the judge of all people who have ever lived. And despite the differing interpretations of the end times passages elsewhere in Scripture, the Christian church throughout the world and throughout history has confessed and continues to confess today with one voice and one heart that Jesus Christ shall come again to judge the living and the dead. The doctrine and the hope of the final advent has been at the very core of historic Christian faith since the time of Jesus' ascension into heaven. It is not a peripheral matter. The blessed hope of Christ's glorious appearing burns brightly on the pages of the New Testament. It runs throughout the Apostle Paul's letters and beyond into the other letters of the New Testament. It is that hope which inspired Christians of 2,000 years ago and is to inspire us today in the knowledge that our life is hid with Christ in God. As Colossians 3 says, our life is hid with Christ and when Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory. This is the hope to which he has called us. The, the inheritance of glory in his saints. This is what Paul had in mind in the great 8th chapter of Romans when he wrote, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He wrote that to Christians who were suffering violent persecution. The Holy Spirit breathed that out for us to assure us that there's no suffering in this world which will compare to the glory that will be revealed to those who love Jesus Christ when He comes again. And the dead are raised and believers' bodies are transformed to be like His glorious body. And we don't understand how all of that will take place. But as, the letter, as John says in one of his letters, we shall be like Him. This is what the Apostle Paul meant when he wrote, again in Romans 8, that the whole creation will be set free from its bondage to decay. All around us we see the effects of sin and death. That will be no more when Christ comes again and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters Cover the sea. The blessed hope of Christ's return gives us a vision of a new creation. A redeemed creation. That's Isaiah's vision when he says the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. A new creation. A renewed paradise. A world unstained by sin. A world untouched by the power of death. Now look. If we've lived long enough, we know that the holly jolly holidays can be pretty tough. 
and that the happiness in the happy holidays can ring fairly hollow. I know people, and so do you, who are not looking forward to Christmas because it will only accentuate their grief. We all know people who will spend Christmas in the hospital or bedridden or waiting for their next chemotherapy treatment or visiting a loved one in the Alzheimer's wing or wishing that their husband, father, father, mother, son, or daughter were with them for Christmas home safe from the battlefield. Where is the happiness in their holiday? Where is the joy for them? The answer is that their joy and ours, ultimately, can be found only in our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, we as Christians, when we look forward to the second coming or the final coming of Jesus Christ, we, we can rejoice with the songs. He will come to judge the world in righteousness. He will come to make everything wrong right again. He will come to make everything sad untrue for those who love Him and trust in Him. When He comes to judge the world in righteousness, He will make all things new. This is what we want. This is the reason that we grieve at times like Christmas because we look around and we see his absence and she's not there. And so it seems to us that death rules the day. But we live by faith, not by sight. And we look to His coming. The day when death will be undone and we shall see it undone. Those who have died in faith will be raised. Their mortal bodies will be clothed with immortality. The perishable will be clothed with the imperishable. Do you see that for Christ's redeemed people, do you see what He is bringing when He comes? Every wound will be fully healed. Every broken heart mended. He saves our tears in His bottle and the day is coming when He will pour them out and we will hear the laughter of His kingdom. Right now, if you are trusting in Christ and seeking to live for Him, you have the promise that every kind of suffering you endure in this world will be used by God in the crafting of that crown of glory which He is preparing for you. This slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And the final advent of Jesus gives us the assurance that our life matters. Your life matters. The world is not aimlessly spinning in an empty cosmos, going nowhere, filled with random, senseless events. Oh no, world history is moving to a goal. And at that goal, 
stands Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for you. And brothers and sisters, that means that your life matters. It means that your days of faithfulness matter and will not be forgotten. That your service, your sacrifice, your self-denial for Christ is not in vain. Not in vain. You will receive your reward from the just judge. And finally and ultimately, it means that all wrongs will be made right. Judgment will be meted out upon evil. The wicked will perish and be no more. God will be vindicated. His word will be proven true. It shall be finally and fully revealed that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee shall bow to Him and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and God's glory will fill the earth and God's goodness and wisdom and love will be all in all and God's holy and loving purposes will be accomplished. His creation will be renewed and He will dwell with us and we with Him. This, brothers and sisters, is the blessed hope. The baby of Bethlehem is the King of glory. He who was born in humility and crucified in shame will come in power to judge the living and the dead and to bring His glorious kingdom to its final, full, and eternal consummation. And you and I are called now to be ready for that day, every day, as we live in the present age between His appearances. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank You for the promises of Your Word the glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, the light who shines in the darkness, whom the darkness shall never overcome. Grant, O God, the light of his grace and truth to shine upon us, that we might live as those who have died with Christ and have been raised together with him, so that even now we might walk in newness of life to the glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.